Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in bodywork, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. It was such a pleasure to be in conversation with Jane Harrington. Jane is a graduate from the first Rolf Movement Training in 1979. She is Rolf Institute Emeritus faculty, having taught both the Movement Certificate and Basic Rolf Trainings. She graduated from the School of Education at UNM, taught for a few years, and moved to her passion, dance. She received a master's in dance from Lone Mountain College in San Francisco, which led to her deepening understanding of movement and movement analysis. This was when the Rolf Institute opened the movement training. Jane had a practice doing Rolf movement for almost 10 years before being a certified Rolfer. For close to 35 years, she taught for the Rolf Institute. Much of that time was in developing the expansion of the work with her teaching partner, Vivian Jay. In today's conversation, we spoke about Jane's history with Rolfing, Rolf movement and dance, the principles of Rolfing, on being in health, and much more. Again, there seem to be some internet issues on my side, causing audio issues during my speaking moments. I greatly apologize for this and have done my best to edit it up as much as possible. Anyways, we hope you enjoy the show. Hello, Jane. Can you hear me? Yeah. Howdy. Hi. Hey. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. That's good. A lot going on, but life's good. And I just took a peek at your email about your journey into the training, which most certainly we don't need to talk about anything that you don't want out there. But in that, we would love to touch in on a little bit of the history. So if you're comfortable sharing around that would be awesome, especially around Rolf movement. Because mm-hmm. that's still- yeah, I was in the first class that trained in the institute. Do you want to start with talking about movement training, or do you want to go even before that and and talk about what sort of brought you to the work? Or um, let's start with how I got to it all, because that's a piece of why I ended up in the movement work. You know, and then I taught structural work for years as well. Yeah. So tell us about it. So. Well, what was your, what was, where were you in your life? And what was it that brought you to the influence of Rolfing? Was it a practitioner or an article, dance? Well, um, before I trained, I was living in Prescott, Arizona. And I was the person that brought the Rolfer into town every month or two, Carter Beckett. <laughs> and I got real engaged with Rolfing through hosting Carter for years and got interested. But at that time, I was too small to train. I wouldn't train anyone that weighed under 135 pounds. I'd work now, but back then I couldn't do that. And also, and she was absolutely right, she wouldn't train people who had loose joint structures. 
that's something we should have stayed with. Yeah. I deal, I deal in my body with the ramifications of doing the work with loose joints. But anyway, um, then as I left Prescott, I was one of those places in life that you go, what is it I really want to do? And I was at a place I could make, you know, it was a free choice moment for me. And I realized I'd always wanted to dance. So I was 30 at the time. And moved to San Francisco, got my master's in dance at Lone Mountain College, worked a lot there with Emily Conrad before she she was just beginning. And it was pretty fun. My roommate at the time was a Rolfer. Hey, Tracy, I don't know what's happened to Kate. Jane, yeah. real quick. Um, love to continue going on with your history, but I'm curious about that. The very first what was it that? drew you to rolfing that you were felt the need to bring I sorry I forgot the guy's name that you just mentioned to Prescott and what was that that intrigue or that interest or the need for that I don't remember (laughs) I know someone else was bringing Carter and then it shifted and I took over and spending hours with Carter got me really fascinated But as I said, at that time, it wasn't realistic for me to do the structural work. And what community were you bringing them into? Um, Prescott. Just Prescott (laughs) in general, just bringing them into? Um, We worked a lot with um, Prescott College. In fact, Heather was teaching at Prescott College at the time, as Tom Wing was. That makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, that was all that. But anyway, left there, went to San Francisco taught dance, um, got my, you know, focused on Eric Cockins technique, which is a technique that every movement initiates through the psoas and the pelvis. And I got fascinated by dance as process, you know, not performance. And also in my dance, what really triggered a lot of it for me was I took a class on movement analysis. And back then, that meant you looked at video frame by frame by frame. (laughs) And out of that, I realized that's what I loved. And about that time, the Roth Institute was forming a movement certification. They had not had one yet. And I went to the meetings, you know, um, with Heather and Gail Ogren and Lewis Schultz and all those people kind of waiting for it to begin. And um, the first class was, I think there were two done like this. I'm not sure, but what was really significant is after our five days of certification, and I passed. And um, my friend Vivian and Jay and I were the only two people from out of state. We didn't know each other, weren't even sure we liked each other, but we hooked up and became roommates and we were teaching partners for 30, 35 years, which was probably the, I kind of tear up because, you know, she's no longer living and, uh, but it was pretty significant. And that training, because we spent our mornings in the Rolfing class, learning 
the basic series. And Peter Malky was a teacher with David Hoke, who's also no longer with us. And then in the afternoon, we would come back and it was like, what are the, it was pre-principles, what are the concepts? What's that about? And how will that translate into function? And it was really significant. You, know, you want to understand the series. Do I mean, it, it got me an understanding of Rolfing and series and I just worked. I don't know that could have happened in any other way. So, you know, that was kind of that. Megan James was one of the teachers and she was key because in the evenings we would come back to our little apartment and Megan and Vivian and I would have a glass of wine or something. And then we would go, how do you do what we were playing with? So every night we would take it and explore it. Does this work? I don't know. How about this? And um, it was a gift. What were some of those foundational principles that you guys were coming up with in the early trainings? They were walking principles. The base, our first training, we probably only learned five techniques. It was, it was really quite basic. But what was important was it was tied to the series. So it was the series, you know, like third hour lateral line or any of them. So it was more that than it was about we had almost no techniques, truly. <laughs> we could plow the head. So you were creating experiential exercises or movements in accordance to the theme of the session. Right. Exactly. Okay. So that's what you meant by principles. Except it wasn't principle shit. Okay. I'm just trying to get better differentiation yeah. of the principles for the structural sessions, if, if that was what you're talking about, or if there was something else. Well, the principles didn't come into being until the early 90s when Jeff Maitland got that together. And this was in, I trained in 79. Okay, thank you for the clarification of the chronological. So it was techniques, it was concepts of the work, um, you know, very tied to. Ida's and you know Peter basically was perfect because he just told stories. Hearing that and tying in, like even when you were talking about you know your roommate situation and, yeah. and the emotion there, but the story that there's it it made me in this moment just feel so grateful that Nikki and I can can do this and have stories with with people like you for all the people listening because there's so much history. You have so much history lived history, embodied history, learned, felt, experienced history of which I've learned about. But even, you know, I've been able to piece together the principles came out of Maitland. I didn't know they were in the 90s. So even already just like this little bit of information that for you is like, oh, yeah, is I find it actually so helpful for for me, but also for our field. And just to, in a way, say like, thank you and, and gratitude for what you have said and hopefully what you continue to, to say going forward. But there's, there's so much information in our, in our, in, in structural integration that is lost or that is slightly. Right. And, and I think what's one of the things Nikki and I are really trying to do is like, 
let's let's bring this up and let's let's paint the story bigger. So thank you. Well, I mean, what the two of you are doing is just fabulous. You know, really, it totally tickles me. I mean, it was so great to hear Neil Powers, you know, we used to go have lunch together and, you know, discuss clients. And it was just fabulous to hear him again. It's it's a real treat. And um, I just wanted to echo that um, I was fortunate enough to be in the class. I don't know if you remember of um, with you and Vivian and Suzanne was your maybe co-teacher assistant. It was a class that y'all hosted. That in- was the first last class Vivian ever taught. I was okay. I felt like that, that one. My foot was in a cast. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was wheeling around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I can just for the for the listeners can to attest to to the friendship and the bond and the teaching compatibility that you and Vivian had, and also seeing the care that you have with the material and that being, you know, passed on to Suzanne, who Suzanne does a brilliant job of continuing with the Rolf movement education. So I just, that was palpable of being in the classroom and experiencing that. And I am honored that I was in one of the last class that Vivian taught. That was it. No, I mean, I did a little bit more teaching. I quit teaching because of my hearing. Um, yeah, Vivian... We held different pieces and different styles. Vivian, very much the late 60s, early 70s, New Age, Eureka. Yeah, you know, I did Esalen, she did Eureka. We both did Esalen, but I did Est. I don't, you all probably don't even know what that is. Earhart seminar trainings, I think, is what it was. But it was an unspoken requirement if you wanted to get into the institute that you had done it. Yeah, it was part of that, part of that particular time. And so Vivian, she actually was a trained shaman as well, quite gifted, but all over the map. And just like in our training, Megan James was much like Vivian, and you know, I was the more organized one and but Vivian couldn't organize and put things in a structure that they were teachable and that my background originally degree was in in education so we were great together in our friendship I mean what a gift you know to have a friend that was that and it's clearly the most important relationship of my life. Maybe, maybe my daughter. I don't know. <laughs> Wherever it ranks, it's clear that that it was a very important relationship. And um, I just I wanted to give this opportunity since Vivian isn't here. Is no. there anything else? Since we don't have a chance to interview her, and she was um, instrumental in the education of Rolf Movement. Is there anything else you could share? Like if, what would, what would be something she would love that the world would know about her and Rolf movement or her contribution to structural integration? Vivian, like we, there, we'd be working in a class setting with a client and we often did four-handed work in class together. And 
Vivian would get a hold of what she decided was needed. And she would not let go. And the beauty of it, though, is she had this amazing way of working with the whole person. Much of what I think I learned from her is to be able to touch and touch the whole person in a touch rather than just touch. Um, and she was brilliant. She was a math teacher before she joined all this. Um, she had a, um, she was born with a congenital hip problem. So she always had a limp. And it was through rolfing and movement, actually a lot of work with Gail Ogren. She may have a different name now, that uh, Vivian learned to walk. And so that was a real key piece. And she was fiery. Um, I remember, you know, there were two or three movement certifications that, you know, we were in. And then there were a couple others after that. And then it sort of fizzled out. That was the girl stuff, never mind. And Vivian and I really wanted to bring movement certification back into the Institute. We also wanted movement included in the basic training. Those two things. Believe me, it was not an easy process. <laughs> no, I, we, from from what we've gathered from our previous right. episodes, there's definitely a clear understanding that there was a bias. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, I think I think the goat bias in many ways goes back to Ida. No, Ida would not certify a woman as a teacher. It was only after her death that Stacy Mills was certified. And that's a, my personal view of it all. So Vivian and I wanted to go to the faculty. And at this point, even though there were before that there had been movement certifications, um, no movement faculty was allowed at faculty meetings. So um we were going to go in and do a presentation to the faculty on how to get movement in them. And I chickened out. I said, I'm not going. I'm no way. Anyway, Vivian went in and um, with actually a lot of support from Jan Sultan, um, we were able to get it approved. And those first trainings were done in six week modulars, I think for six day more, six day modulars. I think that may be happening now. But it's not sequential. Ours was sequential. Now, yeah, now they have. Um, so I'm currently in, in the, the program right now, of which there's different ways of doing it. But one is they have three two week modules. So it's a six week total. Uh, and they can be done sequentially, or they can actually they can be mixed depending on your schedule. And they're having just finished one in April. I loved. It. I really loved it. I mean, we had a great teacher, which is part of it, and great class, which is part of it. But I really appreciate the movement work. Uh, in fact, I, I I see it in some ways much more beneficial. Uh, I see it as very effective. I don't want to say it's more beneficial. There's different things for different times, but right. but it's just the the approach to how do you how do you help someone take more control of themselves? Well, you know, if you get them moving and get them feeling in, the, in themselves, they have more of that power as opposed to just like, 
moving things and then saying, okay, move, right. you know? So yeah, the, the program now is, um, it's different. Nikki, you know, will share that she went to Brazil for hers and did it as part of the, the, um, the integration piece, which was, I guess, was it an extra month of that, Nikki? Or is it just I, into it? It's been a while. I can't recall exactly. I just know it was longer than the original phase three. So yeah, I feel fortunate that I, my final part of the certification, I really got the the influence with Lael Keen and Monica Kaspari, mm -hmm. uh, the 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 integration and the way they taught. For sure, for for practice and you know teaching there was differentiation of the two but really showed how it's there's less of the divide of this is a structural session this is a rolf movement session that you really incorporated that right and while i can appreciate how it can be broken up right now for the type of learners and the structure of the institute and I'm curious what your input on this, Jan, would be, is I keep on whenever I have the chance to speak up in front of anybody in education or in charge of curriculum, I'm like, why not bring at least offer one of, of an integration? Because I, you know, my at a short stint of six years of teaching in the phase one team and, you know, of course, students would hear my, my story and they're like, well, I want to do it the way you did it. I want Rolf movement. I'm already here. I want to, I want to be immersed in it. I don't want to come back. And I'm like, I agree. <laughs> but, um, I don't, if, if there wasn't any kind of administrative thing that would be getting in the way, do you see a benefit in that? I'm well, a lot of quiets that way in Brazil is Vivian. And then the two of us went to Brazil. Thank you with, Pedro Prado and went because we couldn't get it here. I mean, there were faculty members who would not even let movement sessions be shown in their basic training. It was, you know, I think a lot of it was gender based, but doesn't matter. So Pedro said, hey, I want to do it the way you're talking about, Nikki. So that's why it happened. So Vivian and I went down and taught the movement, the initial movement in Brazil. You know, I remember you know, when Monica Gaspari had her first class and I was the person supervising. And, you know, and it was very interwoven in Brazil because the culture allowed it and the administration, well, it wasn't much administration, mostly Pedro wanted it. Yeah. Well, so I feel very fortunate I got it that way because I think it's made a I just I can't see how you can do rolfing without movement. It would be a little tricky. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and even Ida said, put it where you want it and call for movement. I mean that was, you know, and I love structural rolfing. I mean it's you know, it's really fabulous. And it's nice to have both tools. And that's what the principles clarification that Jeff Maitland did. I think Jan helped with it, giving us these, I think they're five basic principles. 
that took it out of technique. So it wasn't I'm doing structure, I'm doing function, but I'm working with these principles or this primary principle. What techniques are going to serve that happening? And um, so that was a big shift. And it was right after that I co-taught a class with Jeff Maitland, and it was a combined study certification, 12 weeks. It was a long class. And uh, we played with that, and it was fun. When you say you played with it, just because I'm really excited, can you give some examples of how you played, or what is what was that like? What did that look like? So Jeff would go first, and he would do a pretty classic series as much as Jeff could do. And at that time, spinal mechanics was pretty hot stuff, and so he would include a lot of that. And then the next day, I would take my client, and I did, I think, a 13 series, and he did a 10 series. And with my client, I would integrate movement into the session. Like if he had done a two, then I did a two, and I integrated a lot of movement into it. And then we also had movement workshops for the clients. Because we used to do a lot of teaching of the raw movement in workshop format. That, you know, that was part of our certification training is how do you do a workshop? So then Jeff and I would dialogue about the differences we'd done and why we had made the choices we had made. At least in my phase two and phase three, there are relics of that that still show up. So we did have a phase, we did have to do a, a, a 13 series. So we had what a teacher does a 10 and a teaching assistant does a 13 or vice versa. I don't remember the order. And then there is a lot of discussion still about why they're doing what they're doing and, and, and going back, which is great. Although retrospectively, like going going through the phase, what's now the phase two, to some extent it's all over your head because you're just like, you know, you're just trying to understand you're given this, this information and then you still don't know what the 10 series is. And, um, you know, there is a saying like you don't really understand session one until you finish session 10, which is really annoying until you finish session 10. And then you're like, oh, OK. And I, and I don't know another way to do it. But a lot of it was lost on me at the time and later got. But that, yeah, that that it seems like and I don't know if that was the sort of started from you and Jeff, but that there's relics of that still in the system, which I, I think is good. My understanding now with the. the um a little bit with the Rolf movement in the, in the very beginning stages is to bring on more of a structured Rolf movement to support it where it's being placed in the 10 series uh-huh. um, for the fact to help students kind of like the 10 series to have something that they can rely on, but still play with. And because like many students share that they're so overwhelmed with learning the 10 series. And then they're like, okay, now do this Rolf movement, which still feels very vague. And, and whether it's vague for them or not, not really owning that, that practitioner skill and to like step into that role to offer an experience essentially through movement. So there is a little bit of, you know, some structure with that because, um, Fortunately, I find it fun, but I, I've been kind of the go-to being a local right. of people coming to me 
to to get the required Rolf movement sessions. And I always offer them, I'm like, do you want this to be completely experiential and for you, or do you want guidance on how to better understand it so you can do it in your in the classroom when you're required? And most people choose the latter because they feel they're shaking in their boots a little bit. Yes. And um, then they come to me again in the, the phase two with what their client's needs are and then help draft an actual session for them. And I feel lucky and fortunate that I've been kind of fell into that role because a lot of people have um, told me that my my instruction with them has led them to go forward with the Rolf Movement certification, that they found great value with it, with having a little bit of that extra support. So I think that just was a gift that I got for being in the phase three of really seeing how they go together. But um, but I do think it's a nice um, benefit that the Rolf Movement I – I can't say for sure if it's the curriculum the, – the, faculty of Rolf movement that are getting behind this. I think it's being presented to them if this is something they'll approve of, but anyhow. Um, so Jane, how with the, the being so part of the, the grassroots of it in the very beginning and the kind of seeing it, like, what would we say? Um, 40 plus years now. So 70, well, I certified in 79, so 80, yeah. So, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> so being a part of the beginning and pretty much, you know, where for the most part until recently, being part of the teaching, where would you love Rolf Movement to go? Like if you could say this is not necessarily the end goal for it, but in the next 10 years, what would your be your greatest wish for Rolf Movement? I hear your question. I don't know that it's answerable. <laughs> I mean, because at one level, rock movement completely stands alone. I, I did only movement work for 10 years before I certified as a rolfer. And I had a full practice. Vivian never was a rolfer, and she's always had a full practice. So it will stand alone. But for me, I see that it's the Ida's concepts, the principles of the work are what it is. And then it really gets into techniques. And at some level, I'm not clear what Rolf movement is right now within the Institute. Um, we, I know the work we, I we did. Had a, huh? I was going to say, we had a talk with Kevin recently, which might define it more, or it may also complicate it more for what Rolf movement is. But the understand, my understanding more or less is a lot of bringing the Hubert Godard's, his version yeah. of tonic function and how that, that whole schema of, of that, what, that, that Rolf movement is sort of the embodied practice of those principles. More or less. Well, this is a big piece of all the questions. Um, obviously, when I learned and what I taught for many years was pre Hubert Godard. And then Hubert's work came in. 
And it was a difficult entry for me and for Vivian because we were sitting in a faculty meeting. Hubert wasn't there. I had not met him yet. And, you know, one of the senior faculty said, now we're going this direction. Men do it better, was basically the thing. I'm just That's saying. fucking horrible. No, I remember that. this just, was just, a long just, time yeah. ago. Things have changed, God willing. So I was calling, oh, God, Hubert, I can't stand it. Well, I met the man. I taught with him. He's lovely. Much of his work I have embraced, used and taught, and some of it didn't resonate for me, just like some of what I did and do doesn't resonate for Hubert. We've had long discussions about this. I still remember we were in my kitchen. We were teaching together. We were organizing the next day, and I had a plant on the kitchen table. And he said, look at that plant, you know, in this very charming French way. Look at that plant. It's reaching for the sky. It's all about being up. I said, Hubert, without roots, it would be dead. You know, and that was probably the essence of our differences. So, Jane, are you then, are you talking, can we rewind a little bit and talk about then what was your fundamental or your your style is it about the the g1 g2 the prime of it being all that yeah it didn't have those names back then but um my style my interest and it really started with my study with emily um conrad is and also in the late 80s early 90s trauma got to be very fashionable and I just can't buy it. I mean, I've had trauma in my life. Of course, I'm alive. But what I'm always looking for when I'm working with someone and I touch them to find out, I do a lot of walking and touching someone. And that's what I'm looking for. What we, we decide to name it resource, but it's bigger than that. What's the joy? What's the essence of this person that isn't being expressed? You know, where's that life, that tickle of who they are? What is that and what's stopping it? So I love that. (laughs) I so love that because I agree with you in the sense of without a doubt, trauma does reside in our body. It we can be held and stuck. But sometimes I think in the body work world, it becomes so identified with what happened to us and oh it's so juicy so juicy and then but like there's this whole other part of living that is celebrating of joy and and we want. vibrance and maybe it maybe that's what we need to nudge a little bit rather than let's figure out what trauma you haven't discovered yet right yeah i'm not sharing my promise with you yeah. <laughs> but basically, um, I look at someone, the first thing I look at is what's moving, what isn't, what's present, what isn't. I learned that from Peter Malkier. He said, just find one fucking thing and get going, you know. And 
So you don't have to be brilliant, just have to find something. And then you engage with them and you touch them and you touch them in a way that they can find what's restricting or blocking that joy, their possibility. Because Emily Conrad, and my favorite quote from her is, in a healthy body, every cell is singing hallelujah at the same time. And so I'm kind of looking for that. And then, so my works, to answer what you ask about Hubert, my work is much more internal than his work. You know, my, I learned to tell years ago, um, oh, I've been out of school. I've been certified maybe two, three years, and I started studying cranial work. And that's where I learned how to be present with that part of the person that wants to be seen. That sounds very much like the, I mean, one of the principles of osteopathy is stay in the health, right? right. So you, you, you don't go looking for sickness. You find what's healthy and you stay with that as a way of helping the body resource itself from, from health. So that's how I, I hear. Yeah. That. And sometimes you have to deal with what's restricting it, but that's not, my goal or my interest. Um, I'm much more about the, like Jeff Maitland said, if we could structure our trainings any way we wanted, he would like to see our unit one basically be cranial training of touch so that people learn how to touch at that low A so that even when you're digging, you're touching in that way. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. And it's something actually that we've talked about a lot here as sort of, we've gone, not in those words, but we've gone into a bunch about depth of touch and how to touch and in some way trying to educate people that rolfing doesn't have to be like, get that elbow in there and slide right. down. I know for, for me, I, I got into body work as a Thai body worker. I was living in Asia and learning and it's very aggressive. I mean, it has a value, but it's very aggressive. And when I started studying biodynamic work, it's, the uh, polar opposite and it can be so much more effective surprisingly yeah. uh, and it's not, and it's not it's either not, or. no it's not either or but one of the things i found in my phase one and, and talking to other people who've been through the process is some of the students get too much pressure they actually get overstimulated and zonked out because you know during the skillful touch part people are diving in and and a lot of the rolfer trainings don't have the resources themselves. And so they're actually like too, too, too fast, too deep. And I never thought about, about sort of what you're saying, Jeff said, if you actually came in with a, um, a more cranial based way of touch, it, it would be a very different, it'd be a very different game there. Right. Not that we want to train cranial practitioners. You know, there are people like Scott who do that very well without our help, but so my, my work is much more internal. I'm always interested um, in when someone's moving in gravity, what's the way they can move that allows who they are as a person to be seen? You know, so what are those places that are longing to be shown and what are the restrictions and the hesitancies? I guess you could call those traumas. You can call them whatever you want. 
Whereas Flair's yeah. work is much more, well, you know, he was a professional dancer, you know, ballet dancer in Paris. His work's much more about reach. It's about out in the world. It's about space. And part of what he brought that we needed desperately is an understanding of moving through space. And his down and up stuff is brilliant. So please correct correct me if I'm incorrect, because I'm I'm learning this a lot. And actually what you're saying during the Rolf movement class, I was asking a bit about what you're saying, because I knew Hubert came earlier. So I had done movement work with Heather Starsong and mm-hmm. I knew that she she predated Hubert. So I was trying to say, well, what was she doing? How does that relate? And the way it was sort of explained to me was that all that was done before was tonic, theoretically tonic function. It just wasn't named that, but the tonic function brought that all in. And while Hubert's work is a lot about going out, there is also a part about going in and going going down. And, you know, having, uh, you know, the, the, what's the word, uh, pre-movement, right? So there's a lot of what is the, right. if you're going to be reaching out, you need, you know, what what is bringing you back and down as, as well? So I don't know if that, if that makes sense. That, that what's what, initiating the reach and why? Yeah. yeah. And would you, would you agree that the way that it was explained to me is that, Hubert's model just gave a name to what, like everything you're saying is what, what you were, see, how you're seeing things. And, and, and I'll go back to say that, as I understand it, Hubert's model has grown beyond him. Like, so he sort of brought this, but people like Kevin, Kevin Frank and other people are, are, are still expanding upon that and bringing more, right. more onto it. And I, I feel bad saying Kevin's name because he's a man and I'd like to have more women's names in there, especially with all the, 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 the trauma, um, that's been caused by the over-masculinated institute, but is a name I remember, so I apologize. But to say that, would you agree? And I'm not looking for you to agree, but would you agree that that verbiage gave name to like the stuff that you were seeing and how you were moving, but you didn't necessarily have a way to to principalize it and that tonic function help with that, or is it still very different things? For me, they're very different. Um, no, and a lot of Heather's brilliance is applying all that to action. Yeah, she, she, I did this session with her, I think in my phase one, and I left completely confused, but <laughs> feeling amazing, uh, moving amazing. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, she's, she's just like you. She's one of the gifts to our community. Yeah, yeah, Heather's amazing. But no, I think Hubert's work, there are places they come together, the different styles of movement, and there are places they just don't. Hubert is not going to spend 15, 20 minutes helping someone find the place internally between their sacrum and their thorax. He's not going to take them on that internal journey because that's not what interests him. Just like I will carry it into space, but I'm not going to, I don't use props much, you know, and Kevin's got all these wonderful things, you know, you know, it doesn't speak to me. And I don't know that there's good or bad. I think different people 
see it differently. Like some people are always looking for validation, you know, science, knowledge, learning. And for me, all of that is useful and I love it, but it won't hold unless it matches my ability to internally experience it. And we all internally experience it quite differently. Just like in the presence, we all find presence in different ways. So with that, forget the listeners. This is just for my own education. No, no, it's, it's for them too. But the, okay, so you have your model of Rolf movement. And there's Hubert's model of Rolf movement. And maybe there's other models. So what? Other tons. So, so what is for you, what is either what is Rolf movement or what is the unifying principle or, or how do we have all these different things that, what is the, the, the thing that makes them all Rolf movement? You're asking a question people ask as long as I've been around. I think, boy, it's so individual. You know, um, for me, and this is something Vivian, I worked with a lot, it, the holism, it has to be the whole person that is touched and worked with. Otherwise, it's just an interesting exploration you know like I could work with a runner on their gait and just give them information about their gait and maybe hook it up with some other place in their body but will that last I don't know it has because they have to have an intrinsic experience of it you know but like I was working with Hubert I was in my 50s I ran competitive track and um, don't ask me why, but I did. And I was, you know, I'm all fast twitch. And I was struggling with getting out of the blocks fast enough. And Hubert gave me this brilliant insight about leading with the top of my head. And I took, you know, three seconds off my hundred meters. That's a big deal. So with my kind of blanket statement when students come to me and trying to again what we're still inquiring about is what what is Rolf movement and with me still holding with all the experience that I've had and kind of what Andrew was just speaking to I've been exposed to so many different styles yeah that it is a little sometimes hard to articulate and but at the end of the end of it, I pretty much is saying Rolf movement. You just had a structural experience. It's, you're experiencing your structure different, and that was done by movement. Right. And um, I was like, for right now, understand it is that way, and that's what you're going to try to achieve when you're having to perform your Rolf movement sessions in the 13 series in your training, and. You know, that was something I just, you know, came up once with mm-hmm. to help a student. And, you know, it's something that I've consistently said. And that, that gives them the light bulb mo- moment of like, oh, it helps take the, the, the nervousness around. Because right. I think, that, I mean, and now I'm kind of coming to it with this discussion. A little bit of angst, I think, in the training 
when you compare it to the structure where you have, you know, a nice binder of the 10 series and the territory you're going to go. And these are the principles that you're going to think of. And this session is a buildup on this session. And this is how they're interconnected. There's so much information that they can rely on when they're doing their structural sessions that when the Rolf movement, it really is kind of a free for all. And, um, so, and I, I'm appreciating more, I'm appreciating more of, how uh, all the different ex, uh, influences in that there isn't really a clear de- definition where before I kind of fell in the camp of that's frustrating. Why can't we come up with something? But I lend it. I appreciate it more because I know I certainly had my struggles as much as I felt like I had a great understanding of it. I had to find my way to, to, to teach Rolf movement first to clients and then as, you know, being in the phase one. And um, there is a, a, a level of life experiences, I think, that lend to be able to do it. I mean, I my journey with Rolfing started off very, very young, right out of college. And um, there's a funny story, I think I've shared it on the podcast before, but definitely with students, where I try to get into a very calm introspective voice and because this is what I'm remembering what teachers did to me and I'm like oh this evoked something and I did it with one client and this again this was in New York different pace different people and they're like Nikki why are you talking that way it's so weird (laughs) and I was like oh yeah that felt really weird and I just went back into I was like feel it this way and what is it like to try on this way so I was able to find a way that evoked an experience but that was still my authentic voice and not some that a teacher right. had heard. And, and I'm appreciating that with you know again with me discovering Rolf movement I had to go get a bag of tools from the mind body modalities of Pilates yoga gyrocatonic all those things and um, that really supported me. So in a way, I'm kind of, you know, I like both styles where, you know, I can be very prop oriented or not. Um, but I, I guess I'm just kind of echoing with the appreciation of that this does have a lot of different styles that's been influenced by a lot of great movement imp- uh, pioneers. Right. And that's Okay. Well, and the principles is what helped clarify it for me. You know, if it's working within the framework of a structural, like a Rolfing class or whatever, then the principles direct the style of movement. And just to clarify, you're talking about the Maitland's principles, support, Pantonicity, closure. Holism, adaptability. One of them changed, and maybe it was adaptability. One of them, I remember. they added in continuity and holism itself. As far as I understand it, holism, and I'm just confused with this still, holism became a meta principle and continuity became right, that's five. True. And palantonicity was the other one we didn't share. But it's a little, it's a little confusing because I would see continuity as a form of 
Palantonicity, but anyways, that's 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 what she's that's what you're talking about. Those right. those principles. Well, um, yeah, the Palantonicity really brings in who bears work, you because know, you get to have both um, continuity, congruence are about is everything working together, or if not, is it something you can do anything about? Well, this has been amazing to hear your your stories and how you've shaped, offered influence in shaping the Rolf movement. Is there anything else that we haven't spoken about that you think is important about this topic? Well, I mean, you know, they're days, but uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, the, you know, for me, the richness of working with Vivian Jay and also much in the same way with Pedro Prado were key for me in terms of understanding and taking risk with it with greater depth with people because I have an impatient side and that got smoothed out a bit. And I'm really grateful to to have this chance to sit with you and to share you with our community because, and I sort of said this before, so I apologize if it's too much uh, too much butt kissing, but this is really there's I don't know if you fully realize the impact that you have had on uh, on a greater community, which has been a, a profound impact. And so our community is small in some ways and it's growing all the time. And there was so many times when I was talking with people and your name would come up, even the podcast or even like some stuff to say, oh, you have to talk to Jane. You know, have you talked to Jane yet? And a little bit, I was like, who the hell is this Jane person? I mean, I've heard of you before. <laughs> even, I mean, even within Scott, who's not a rolfer, and I'm talking with Scott and, you know, and, and Scott telling me the, the, the training he did with you and, and Jim had a, such a profound a, a effect on him. Right. So even going outside of our immediate community, there is, yeah, there's just, there's, you know, I, I don't think you do what you did for the acclaim and the fame, but I'll just give a little praise to you and say that we're, we're grateful for, for what you have and continue to do. And you, you've impacted, I would say, the community and therefore the world in a much better place. So thank you. You're quite welcome. Yeah. Well, and even outside of the SI world a little bit, um, who we spoke with yesterday, Martha Eddy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I did study with her at some point. <laughs> yeah, she. Um, we mentioned that we were going to be speaking with you, and she wanted us to pass on a hello. Yeah. She's fabulous. We went to Glide Church together in San Francisco. Oh, I used to volunteer at Glide a lot. I used to go, especially every Christmas and Thanksgiving, and I used to work in soup kitchens a lot, so I know Glide very well as well. Yeah. Well, thank you. This is fun. I'm glad we were able to do this together. And um, Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Jane. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Enjoy. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Jane by emailing her at janech at mac.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us, and we greatly appreciate your support. 
We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching into Presence. Bye-bye.